Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Thanks for tuning in. It's been a few weeks since I posted a podcast episode. I took some time off over the summer to rest and recharge. And now I'm all set with a new set of episodes with some great guests coming up over the next few weeks and months. And before I get into this week's episode, I want to take a moment just to reflect on the goal of the podcast and why I'm doing it. Uh, over the last few weeks and months here in the U.S. has been sort of a challenging time. Um, there's been uh, protests and uh, about race relations here in the U.S., uh, terrorist attacks in, in Minnesota and Charlottesville and Kansas City and other places, um, and of course terrorist attacks around the world, uh, perhaps most notably in, in Barcelona. Um, but reflecting on why I do the podcast – what I'm trying to do here is to bring experts in the fields of data and open data and presentation skills and communicating data so that they can help you, the listener, improve the way you do your analysis, you do your communication of your data. Because if we can't do a better job of communicating our information and communicating our work, it really doesn't help anyone. And in this era that seems to be challenging uh, facts and data, I think it's even more and more important to think about ways that we can present evidence to our audience, communicate that evidence, communicate those facts well, so that we can make the best decisions to help our communities, to help our country, uh, to help each other. So I hope you are able to listen to these episodes and get some expert advice, get some expert tips and tools and resources so that you and your teams and your organizations can improve the way you do your analysis, can improve the way you collect or use data, and hopefully improve the way you communicate data to make the case that the things that you care most about are worthy of people's attention and can be put into practice and can affect change and affect policy. So I'm very excited to have on this week's episode, no stranger to podcasts, no stranger to talking about data visualization, um, and to talk about an issue that's close to my heart and something I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is uh, the concept of story. So I'm excited to have Robert Cristara on the show uh, from Tableau Software. Robert, welcome to the show. How uh, how was your summer? <laughs> Hi, John. Uh, doing well, thank you. And my Good. summer was very interesting. We all, I guess, took a bit of a break uh, from podcasting <laughs> and from blogging. So uh, I'm also ready to start things off again. Yeah. And now we can start the annual tradition of arguing about pie charts. That's and, right. And yelling at each other on Twitter. So good. Everybody, everybody, everybody can get back to work. Um, I wanted to have you on the on the show because in the in the spring I think you had um you put out a couple of papers you were working on uh one on your own and one with Jessica Holman and Heidi Lamb uh both on stories and how this concept of story applies to data and I've obviously done a lot of thinking about this done a lot of writing on it but I wanted to get your take on on how we as people working with data and visualizing data should tell stories whether that's a word we should even use. Why don't I ask you just to talk a little bit about the the research and also your thinking on how we use this word stories with, with data? Mm -hmm. Sure. So this is something that, that's near and dear to my heart because I've been doing work in this area for a while now. And I've been looking at a lot of news pieces and what people like to call news stories and looking at, at their structure and like what kinds of data they use, what kinds of transitions they use, things like that. And over time, so I have these classifications of I, uh, they're using this kind of transition type and, and then I use like Scott McCloud's classification for transitions and there's uh, Neil Cohn who has done some work on, on also comics. So McCloud, I should probably say, wrote this book, uh, Understanding Comics, and he talks about a lot of interesting things there. But 
One of them is the kinds of transitions between frames. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, Neil Cohn who talks more about like overarching structure, like what kind of, of kind of semantic role the different frames play. And and then uh, as I'm doing this, I found myself just having like another column in there that says, you know, this is not actually a story. Like a lot of these ended up being things that start out in a way that looks like a story, but don't actually have an ending. So they mm-hmm. end because they can't go on forever, of course, that there is... At some point, there's just no more step in the stepper, or there's no no more space to scroll to because there's just nothing there anymore. But it's not because, yeah. Right, but there's, it's not because there's an actual ending there that brings it to some kind of closure or that ends the story in any kind of structured way. But, and of course, in, in journalism, there's this idea of the inverted pyramid or the inverted triangle, where you give people the important information up front and then you give them more and and you know as as it goes on it kind of becomes less important so that people don't have to read the whole thing or even if they don't read the whole thing they will still get the gist of it and the main message but if it's supposed to be a story there's supposed to be at least a beginning a middle and an end mm-hmm. but many of these things just entirely lack is is an end yeah and so one of the the two papers, so there's the short paper that I wrote, was essentially on that, that I said, well, I found a small number, like a half a dozen or so, well, actually a bit more than that, but I found a, a small number of stories that I thought were really good stories, that in, in the sense that they had an actual ending, which mm-hmm. is pretty rare, where the end really ties back to the beginning, and then a subset of those, and that's about a half dozen or so, had a very particular structure where they set up a question, or they, they ask a question, or they make a, a statement, and then the they present an art, some evidence and then end up with a conclusion that really ties back what was just presented as evidence back to the beginning. So you really have an arc and you have a sort of like like an essay or like a, a more of, a, of an actual structure that brackets the whole the whole thing and so it turns into an actual story. And so that that's that's what I'm thinking about. It's like so what what does it mean for the other things? Are those stories? Are those I mean they're still called news stories, but what are those? And in many cases, I think they're not, they're just a different thing. They're not, they're not stories in the usual sense. So in some sense, there's classical definition of the, of story, what we all might intuitively think of when we hear the word story, you know, little, red, little red riding hood, right. Or like, right. right. And then there's news story, which in some ways is, is different. Cause I, I like that idea that it doesn't tie back to the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's maybe data story, which is a, also a different thing, and right. how does yeah? So the, right, so the, the question is, where does data story sit? Like yeah. where where in space right. does the data story go? Right, and and also even with news, so and, and that's why I've been looking at news stories because yeah. news pieces. Uh, so I like the term yeah, news pieces. News pieces, okay, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> the idea is that uh, is to look at those and see well what do people do like what what do different kinds of news pieces do and some of those are just accounts they just say well this happened and then that happened and then that happened and so you you get this sense of okay so this is what what was going on at this particular point and some of these have a sort of an implied causality so they basically say well, this happened and then that happened. And because of those two things, the later thing also happened. So, they, they, of course, they, they pick those because you can't just right. tell, talk about everything that happened. So, you have to be specific and, and focus on just the things that you think are important. So, there is obviously a choice there. But it's not always very clear what, what those, that choice is based on or what those, why those things were chosen. But that's one example. And then there's this thing about what's called an explainer. 
and those are often are also kind of historical. So it says like, well, there are racial tensions here and there, and then it talks about what happened in the past, and then and that also very often doesn't really explicitly make the connection, but it does talk about like things that probably or likely had a had an impact or an influence on what happens you know today mm-hmm. or what just happened and what was newsworthy uh, right. last week, whatever. And so those those are things that people that people build, and then there are more more kind of technical ones like explaining how a machine works or how is you know a phone call works a cell phone call how is that connected and stuff like that so there's more like technical explanations mm-hmm. and then there's like the the background like it just there's there's more stuff around what's happening so there but those are so so i'm trying to get to the point of saying well there is there are there are reasons for presenting information that that we like to call story, but that often have a different intent. They're they're more about explaining something or laying out information or just kind of retelling what happened. And some of those look more like traditional stories, but I think many of them actually really don't. And they're so, more like background and stuff like that. So, for, yeah. so to your mind, what defines for you the traditional story? Is it that you that it, it resolves some conflict at the end, and it's not sort of the traditional explainer like? And, and then if I were to take that traditional story definition, how would I be able to apply data or data visualization to that model? Yeah, so I think <laughs> I haven't entirely made up my mind on that. Yeah. But I think what, what, the, what a, a traditional story, if we call it story, there needs to be some sort of arc. There needs mm. to be a, a reason why it, it is a unit and not mm-hmm. just a few steps through yeah. some some pieces of evidence right and if you think or actually what what i i should have added into this too is like presentation so there's this idea of i'm presenting something to you i found something in my data so now we're getting closer to to data and not just like you know general uh, journalism stuff but if i present something to you often i have a conclusion at the end and that conclusion is a recommendation or um, some kind of problem statement that says, so here I just showed you a few things. So I think that, so maybe I found that I don't know, we're losing money on X, Y, and C, and uh, we didn't, we don't know why, or why, why is it different now than it was before, or whatever, or why is our marketing thing not working the way it used to in the past, or whatever. And so I'm looking for, not necessarily for a recommendation, but I, at least I'm looking for an explanation, and or a, a, I've done some research, I've dug up some evidence, and so starting by saying, here's what I found. So I'm actually telling you what what the conclusion is, essentially. And then I'm showing you some evidence, and I'm saying, and this is why I think what I found is actually true. So it's because it's not always obvious that your evidence entirely ties into all of that. Right. That's closer to story, in my opinion, because there is a a macro structure. There's an overarching arc (laughs) that Mm -hmm. ties the whole thing together. But if it's just here's a piece of information and then here's some more information and then I just end. I just don't feel that that makes for anything that, that I would call story. So does the, does the arc need uh, people or units or individuals for the, the reader or the user to identify with or connect with? Or does it, does it just simply need the arc? And, and if it doesn't need people or units, like how do you build that arc? Um, so for the, the arc, I think the, the arc can be independent of people but it doesn't have to include people. Let's see. Right now, I think that uh, I, I, <laughs> I love that, I love having, I love I love forcing you to like work out your your theory on story 
during the whole interview. I, I <laughs> it's like oh, we're gonna. This is like this is like the whole research process right here. <laughs> well, it's not like there is. You know, we don't know. We 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 haven't right. figured this out. And and yeah. I I change my thinking. You know, every couple months so yeah so uh, you know it's not and and I'm, I'm glad i'm not in politics because people would call me i don't know <laughs> or whatever. but you know this is because i learn more and I, I understand more about what's going on and that 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 changes how things work and so anyways I'm, I'm what i'm trying to say is that given that i haven't seen any clear counterexamples so far i think that we can we can say that that story doesn't have to involve people it can work without people but for the most part, you want to obviously have something there that's not just numbers. So if you're talking about data, obviously we we need to have a connection to what what the numbers mean in some kind of real terms. Like how does this impact a person, a business, a, a, I don't know, some, something that that's tangible that I can connect with. Yeah. And for the most part, those will be people because we we care about people, obviously. But uh, if my presentation is about marketing then i might not care like i don't have to make up a person like there is this whole idea in in uh, i guess it's also true in marketing since i'm using this as my example right now but also like in in user research that you make up these personas yeah and the personas become these draw men where it they become way too rich and and over embellished for no reason at all other than just because it's fun to make up a new person mm-hmm. but it, that they're actually more of a distraction than anything in in many cases. So being clear about what you want and and being clear about what the story is really about. Like what should the story? What what are you trying to achieve with the story? What is your what are you what are you trying to communicate? And then building the whole thing around that rather than trying to make it an amazing story that has like all kinds of conflict and people right. and you know right. Uh, protagonists. I think that's actually more <laughs> yeah. of a distraction than anything. Yeah. Um, and and that's also where this term storytelling has kind of taken on a bit of a its own dynamic that isn't always that helpful because we get we get sucked into these rabbit holes <laughs> that yeah, yeah, yeah. fun to explore because there's so much with you know traditional story but it's not necessarily all that helpful for for presenting findings and data and analysis right but but just kind of but but it can make for a fun story i mean sure but but it, it can be a distraction as well but it, but it leads to my leads to my next question which is do these conversations really matter Right. So when I say to someone, I'm going to tell you a story with these data, in some ways, we've all sort of accepted this word story. We haven't well defined it, but we've all sort of accepted it. So when yeah. someone says, here's a graph and it's a line chart and they're like, oh, the story I'm telling is this, we sort of like nod our heads and say, oh, OK. When I think you and I would probably agree that that thing itself is not a story because it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have an arc, doesn't have a conflict, doesn't really have a resolution. So, like, is this purely an academic discussion or does it have implications for people and how they think about communicating their data? Yeah, I think it's it's both. Because there there certainly is, if you want to be specific, I think there's there's this whole thing about line charts in particular. And anything that that depicts time Mm -hmm. lends itself to telling a story. So it doesn't actually do it itself. But it does give you the material, right? So you can look at the line chart and you can see, oh, it went up during this time, and so and then it did drop, and then it went, and then it, it increased again. And you can say, well, oh, I know why it dropped because this happened and that happened, and then it was increasing because we did this and that. You can add a lot of information to that because because time just kind of time is so 
inherent in story yeah. that that it just kind of makes you essentially tell the story. It just it forces it out of you almost. Yeah. And that's why it's both a bit of a pitfall and and it also kind of doesn't matter all that much because in in the end, because we're so good at telling stories, I guess we mistake the the material for the actual story. Like we mistake mm. the numbers for the story in this case. Which to me is annoying, but it, it might not be that important uh, in, in kind of a practical sense. But yeah, from an academic point of view, I think that distinction is quite important because we need to understand what is the story and what is just the material that makes the story. Mm-hmm. But this, what, what this story, in my opinion, is is the pieces that actually tie it together. Yeah. Like the, 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 co- the connective tissue between the, the steps that actually make mm-hmm. it make the narrative. I No, I like that distinction. But I also think, like you said, it's a little bit of both. But I think in some sense... Being able to define what we mean by telling a data story then forces us to be careful with that word. And so if we're just making a graph, you know, take, I mean, I mean you, you, you have this list of examples in, in, in one of the papers. Um, for me, like the one that always is the first one that comes to mind is Snowfall from the New York Times. Like that one is still for me, for me is a real, a real story. And I would contrast that with like a graph where I'm not telling a story. And so if someone said, here's this story I'm telling you, and they show me a column chart, I'd say, no, no, that's not a story. This thing is an example of a story. If you want to tell a story with the data, you need to think in a different way. And so in some ways, making people think more carefully about the word story forces them to think about who they're communicating with and what they're trying to say. Mm. I don't, I don't oh, yeah. That. I that. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sure. So, so a story also needs to be targeted and tailored, I guess, to the audience. So you yeah. you're want to make sure that you have the information there that they need, that they, that they have, and that you understand who the audience is and, and what they know, what they don't know. But your example also is interesting because Snowfall is this, this very elaborate piece that came out in 2012 or 12, so. 2012, 2013, I think. I think 2012, yeah. And at that time, it was this very long, scrolly piece that had like what five six pages five or six sections yeah and each page was a long scrolling thing that had like animations and that started with a video and so it was very elaborate and at the time this was a totally new thing but and it's clearly a story that there there are, it, there's a lot of narrative in there there's a lot of like narrative about people and there's yeah. this difficult term too but um the it tells the story of what happened and, about, uh, and of the people and so on. So this was about this, this avalanche that, that, that when that happened in, and then people got caught in uh, uh, somewhere uh, here in actually close to where I am in Seattle. Right, uh, but, uh, but the problem with that comparison, of course, is that snow snowfall is this enormous, huge piece. And so the, there's lots of, kind of steps in between that and yeah. a simple chart. So there are, there are ways you can you can turn a simple chart into a story by just using some highlighting and some and, and stepping through a few things or maybe building up the chart by saying, well, I don't know, here's the competition, here is us, or you know, just and then maybe over time or given different different segments or whatever, mm-hmm. and you can build things up that way, and you can actually you can you can actually use a story using a single chart, but just by just like hiding parts. I do this a lot actually yeah. in Keynote, just putting stuff on top of charts. And then revealing them over time, and that that you can make really interesting little stories that way. You just have yeah. to play with that a bit, and and it and, and that. So that's what I'm saying, though. That the, the chart, almost any chart, if it's not too complicated, can become the raw material for a simple story. And then you can you can just kind of 
work with that a bit and, and figure out, well, how can I, how do I start by, by not overwhelming people, by not giving people too much stuff at the same time, but, but focusing them on one thing and saying, look at this first and then look at that. And that way you set their expectations, you set their baselines, you can compare and so on. And, and that, that then turns the whole thing into an actual structured presentation and perhaps into a story. So does this require either animation or interactivity or, or a presentation where you are revealing the pieces of the graph? And does it, does that mean that we, to a tell a story with a chart with data, you can't provide a single static graph? Well, you can have a single static graph and then a bunch of text, right? And so that, that <laughs> way you can always tell the story in the text. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but if you really want to, to, to use the, the chart to, to tell the story, I think you need, I'm not sure I want to call it animation. I used I, so for builds for me right. don't actually have to like have any kind of tra- transitions. You could just like you actually do this like as PDF pages and just kind of right. flip through, it. or or you know any. So it doesn't have to be smooth animation. That's what I mean. So it doesn't have to be yeah. motion. It can like just an, be yeah, like a motion. Right. You can just like the simple thing is just like not show something and then show another thing. Right. And another thing. You can very easily build those things. You don't need fancy animation. I, I, in fact, animation probably actually gets more in the way than anything. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for sure you, you can do that. Um, you can also highlight things. You could just do like Cole Nussbaumer talks about this a lot in her book. She she does these. She takes a chart and basically turns it all gray, and then she just highlights by using. Uh, heavier like a stronger color like a, a dark blue t- highlights the things that are important you can do that with lots of things you can make like some of the lines in the line chart heavier and on, and darker and that way you end up just focusing on those even if you have other stuff there so it doesn't mean you have to hide things entirely in fact you want to show context you want to show comparisons but by being a bit more selective about what you show and exercising some judgment there i think you can actually walk people through the data and the presentation pretty easily and pretty effectively and if you do it right i think the tools are really super simple i don't think you need anything fancy at all yeah i no, i I think that i think that's right where you have the graph with the one line and then another graph with two lines and maybe some text on it that that works people through yeah okay i wonder why people still don't do that um i i feel like it's the same reluctance to do like small multiples where more mm. graphs is in some ways ba- you know, worse than having one graph with everything on there. Um, and I don't know if that's, you know, that's a holdover from, oh, well, you know, it's printed. You know, we, you know, thinking in a print world where we want to get everything on a page, but that doesn't, that's not the case when you're online. So um, there still seems to be, at least in my experience, a reluctance to take a graph or a complex graph or, 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 or even a simple graph and break it up into multiple pieces. Yeah. And that, that I think is because there's still this mindset of analysis you want to have, or it's almost like a table. You want all your information there. Yeah. So, you, so if you give it to somebody, they can see everything and they can then look at it and like find the patterns themselves. But if, if your goal is to walk them through that, then, then you want to be very focused on just the things you want to show at any one time. And then, of course, at the end, you want to give them as much as you can, like all the data, all the charts, whatever it is. Right. But as you're presenting, you have to actually hold back a lot of information so that they focus on just the thing you're trying to say. And that, that way you can get your message across. It doesn't mean you're, you're hiding the other stuff, but you're, you're certainly focusing on the things that, you're, that you care about that you want to show. So in that framework, let's just say you, have, you write a blog post 
and you have a, a chart with four lines and you break it up into four separate charts. So you're going to show the first one, the second one, the third one, the fourth one. When you mm-hmm. get to the end, to have it be closer to this traditional definition of story, do you then need to tie it back to the beginning? Or because you've layered or, or built this thing up, is, is that enough? No, you, you do have to have some sort of, of, of connection back. Yeah. So the way you just described this, I just thought of an example that I just saw recently. There's this, there's one that the talk, there's a, there's a chart, there's a piece, I think NPR did this. It looked at when are people at work, like in the office. And there's this survey that did that and that looked at like different job groups. And so it has this overall, this like area chart that shows the, like the, the kind of the combination of all the different people, all the different jobs. And it's like, these are large categories. I forget what they're called. Mm-hmm. And then, and it shows like there's a distribution over, over the day. And so this is over, over one day. So from midnight to midnight. And you see how people go to work in the morning and then there's a bit of a dip at lunch and then it goes back up and then it drops down. And then there are, the, and then they walk through like four different groups. So they, they look at, uh, well, two of the groups that, that, that are specifically interesting, of course, are um, people who, who work in restaurants. I forget the actual terminology, like ser- services industry, service whatever. Industry, yeah, something, right? Right. And so, of course, they work later, but they, they work when everybody else is at lunch because they're, <laughs> they're serving yeah. them. So, and then they work much later at night because they're, you, know, you go to dinner and that's when, when, you're, when your servers work. And then, uh, and then the other thing is uh, they have like security personnel. And those folks are up, of course, during the night much more than, than anybody else. And so you can see that pretty easily. And so they walk through four of those. So they show you the overall thing, and then they show you four snapshots. Mm-hmm. And then that's it. And so it ends at this point. And so it's really unsatisfying because you're like, okay, so why, why isn't there some, something else here that, that, that you learned from that? Right. Like it ties just, it all the way back to the, to the overall right. average. Right. So that, that's where I feel is it's not a story because it has a beginning. It has kind of a middle. But but the end is just because it just ends. That's yeah. it's the end of the web web page in this case. Why not have something there that actually ties this back and has some sort of historical context, perhaps, or or something else that gives me a sense of so what does this mean now? You showed me a few examples, but by showing me the overview first, I actually feel like you you, you almost owe me some sort of of, of conclusion <laughs> at the end. You just walk me through a few slices of this data. So yeah. that, that's what I, where I, I just feel like there's a missed opportunity there to make this into a story. And again, for journalism purposes, this might be fine because it's, it's the classical inverted pyramid. You showed the overview at the beginning and the main thing. This is like, this is the, the shape of this curve. And then, then you go into more detail and I could just stop reading it at any point because I might not care about the next one that you present. But that means that the end of the story is just, is just really not defined. There's nothing there structurally. And that, that's where, where I'm just not feeling like it's a story. It's just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't earn the right to call itself a story if it doesn't have that ending. <laughs> so really what you're saying is the folks who are listening to this who are from NPR, they owe you a t-shirt. Oh, for sure. Yeah, at least. At least <laughs> <one>. <laughs> um, I feel like we could have this conversation all day, and I'm sure we will. Um, you have a few more things coming up over the fall. I'm sure you'll be doing some writing and more talking about stories. So, um I'm sure we'll all look forward to that. So, Robert, it's uh, uh, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. I hope you're uh, back on board with listening to the show. I've got a great slate of guests coming up over the next few months. So thanks for tuning in. Be sure to get in touch. Let me know what you think of the show, if you have uh, suggestions for guests. So uh, thanks again for listening. So until next time, this has been the Policy Biz Podcast. Mm-hmm.